Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Monday, August 15th, 2022. It's been 3,091 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 173 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with some assessment of the current status of the war. First, the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic is combat ineffective, with multiple reports that it is on the brink of being combat destroyed. Second, volunteer fighters in Russia are starting to return home from their contracts and complain of poor equipment, terrible treatment, and going unpaid. Third, Russian proxy forces suffered another embarrassing and preventable defeat due to terrible operational security, resulting in dozens of mercenaries being killed and wounded in a confirmed HIMARS attack. Fourth, Ukrainian forces continue to gain ground south of Izum, and the condition of Russian defenses is reaching a point where a counteroffensive is a target of opportunity. Fifth, Russian troops in Kherson City have started looting civilian garages and homes, indicating deepening concern about being cut off from the rest of Ukraine or a possible prelude to a withdrawal. And finally, the Kremlin may move forward with the sham referendum for the Donbass to become part of the Russian Federation, even though almost half of Donetsk is not secured and 80% of the population has fled. Let's take a look at some regional updates and a brief recap of the objectives we've assessed for both Russia and Ukraine. As always, we'll start in the Donbass region with the Slovyansk, Bielohorivka, and Berestova Triangle. The Russian objective here is to maintain territorial control of ground lines of communication, called G-locks, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent advances on Siversk, Slovyansk, and Kramatorsk, support insurgents, exploit weaknesses, and interdict supplies. A Russian Special Operation Force Reconnaissance and Force Team attempted to advance on Serebryanka, came under fire from Ukrainian forces, and retreated. 
Elements of the Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, also known as the LNR, supported by the Russian Federation Armed Forces, attempted to advance into Ivanodarivka, Vesele, and Spirne using reconnaissance and force, and were unsuccessful. The settlements east and south of Siversk were shelled, including Verknokamyanska, Serebrianka, and Ryorivka. On August 8th, private military company Wagner Group-aligned telegram channel Grey Zone shared detailed pictures of the Wagner commanding control base in Popazna. One of the photos a Russian journalist took during the visit included the address of the building where the base was located. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the founder of Wagner and a close Putin ally, was in one of the pictures. On August 14th, the base was hit by rockets fired from high-mobility rocket artillery systems, or HIMARS, causing significant damage and reportedly killing 12 and wounding 13. Despite social media rumors, we find it unlikely that Prigozhin was still at the base. Wagner Telegram Channel Reverse Side of the Metal shared pictures of the destroyed base and the wounded and dead being removed. Another post-attack video was recorded by an insurgent or Ukrainian SOF showing Wagner loading some of the dead into a van. Pro-Russian social media accounts, Russian state media, and Wagner have widely reported the attack. They are attempting to spin the operational security, or OPSEC, fail as not that harmful, claiming that only one rocket struck the facility and members of Wagner were alerted before the strike and were in a bomb shelter. Pictures shared by Wagner Group show at least two impacts on the building, including one that would have penetrated the basement area. Private chats for Russian soldiers and PMC Wagner claimed 25 to 50 casualties, depending on the source. Ukrainian SOF made a reconnaissance mission in Brusivka on the north bank of the Siversky Donets River, northeast of Rajhorodok. They came under machine gun fire, attempted to flank the Russian positions, and withdrew. Russian forces were using civilian homes as firing points. Our assessment here, if it weren't for bad OPSEC, Russian state media and Russian forces wouldn't have any OPSEC. The war in Ukraine is reaching the six-month mark, and security blunders continue to occur. It is unlikely Ukraine was specifically targeting Prigozhin. Despite his commitment to privacy and security, the wide distribution of pictures showing his visit indicates that Russian proxy forces have a significant sense of overconfidence. It is unknown if this attack will impact ground operations in the region, particularly further south in Bakhmut. The video from Brusivka indicates it is likely that Ukrainian SOF and experienced Territorial Guard are operating in the forested areas and the national park north of the Siversky Donetsk River on the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border. To the south in Bakhmut, the Russian objective is to capture the Bakhmut-Solidar complex and collapse the Svitlodarsk salient before August 31st and interdict the Bakhmut-Siversk T-5013 highway G-lock. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut-Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend GLOCs. Pictures and a video on social media emerged yesterday showing the destruction in Solidar and indicating the Wagner Group does not fully control the Naufchips sheetrock factory. Russian forces entered close to the southeastern corner of the facility but the video showed it was a small reconnaissance force attempting a sweep of only one section of the large complex. Russian Airborne Forces, or VDV, 
attempted another reconnaissance in forest push on the edge of Solidar and were unsuccessful. Our map likely overstates Russian gains, but will hold the line of conflict in its current position. PMC Wagner, supported by LNR separatists, tried to advance on Yakovlivka and Vershina without success. Pro-Russian social media account Rybar claims that Russian forces captured Vershina, but there weren't any supporting pictures or videos. Military leaders of the LNR have consistently overstated territorial gains, amplified by pro-Russian accounts without fact-checking. The general staff reported continued fighting. Russian VDV forces assaulted Bakhmut and, according to the general staff, had, quote, partial success. Pro-Russian social media account Rybar's map of the Bakhmut advance shows Russian forces have less control than we indicate in our map, even after today's partial success. Based on social intelligence, we moved the line of conflict further east and tightened the area of contested control. This does not reflect new territorial gains, rather an improvement in the quality of available social intelligence. Bakhmut has been experiencing the worst shelling since the war began. Typically, this is a precursor of a large-scale Russian offensive. Another possibility is the bombardment is a punitive strike for the HIMARS attack on Popazna. Our assessment that Vesela Dolina would come under attack was incorrect. Russian forces did not attempt to advance on the settlement, and it did not come under fire. Russian forces attempted to advance on Zaitseve, 10 kilometers southeast of Bakhmut, and were unsuccessful. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, fighting for control of Kodema and Zaitseve, north of Horlivka, continued. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 9th. You'll find it in last Tuesday's episode around minute 5 or 6. In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, the Russian objective is to capture the Donetsk Oblast to its administrative borders before August 31st, push Ukrainian forces out of firing range of Donetsk City, and defend the existing line of conflict in Zaporizhia to the Dnipro River. The Ukrainian objective is to defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies and disrupt logistics, and prepare for, or convince Russian forces they're preparing for, a wide-scale counteroffensive. Russian forces attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka from the outskirts of Donetsk for a second time in 24 hours and were unsuccessful. First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued its offensive to capture Pisky. Pro-Russian social media accounts and the Russian Ministry of Defense didn't mention Avdiivka, Kamyanka, Pisky, or Marinka in their reports today. Outed FSB colonel, wanted war criminal, and likely now a Kremlin pariah, Igor Gherkin-Strelkov, maintained a low profile on social media after his release from custody and forced return to Russia. Neither belligerent reported additional fighting west of Donetsk. On August 14th, we reported there was fighting in the settlement of Pervomaisk, which is northwest of Pisky. Further geographical analysis showed that Pervomaisk is a slender settlement that runs northwest to southeast and connects to the northwest corner of Pisky at the ponds. Ukrainian forces are on the north side of the ponds, and Russian forces are on the southern side. We assess the unsuccessful fighting over the weekend as an attempt to flank Ukrainian positions and cross a small marshy area north of the E-50 Loop Highway. 
Russian forces made a second attempt to advance on the settlement this morning, local time, and were unsuccessful. Based on this information, we've updated the map. Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Pavlivka and tried to improve their position near Vemivka without success. Social media pictures showed a large fire at the port in Berdyansk. The exiled mayor of the port city reported the fire was caused by a, quote, violation of safety requirements during welding work that ignited fuel and oil storage. Insurgents in Melitopol destroyed a railroad bridge south of the city and reportedly caused major damage to the structure. Local officials are reporting one of two main rail lines out of Crimea has been closed for two days, and the bridge will require extensive repairs. We can't verify the veracity of this report, however. Our assessment here is the same as it was on August 12th. You can find it in this past Friday's episode around minute five. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's move on to the Kharkiv region, starting in northwestern Kharkiv. The Russian objective here is to prevent Ukraine from reaching the international border with Russia, protect the Belgorod-Kupyansk G-lock, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances on Kharkiv and pressure the Russian-controlled Shevchenkov-Izum G-lock. The Russian Ministry of Defense claims that the border settlement of Yudi was recaptured, but did not provide videos, photos, or other information. None of our sources in the Kharkiv region reported fighting near Yudi, nor did the general staff. We have marked the area contested, but don't believe the claim made by the Russian Ministry of Defense is entirely accurate. In our assessment, it's more likely that Russian forces were able to advance into Yudi before being repulsed, but by the time the after-action report reached the Kremlin, the level of success had been amplified. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported airstrikes on Ukrainian positions in Veliky Prohody. This has been an active region with the line of conflict moving one to two kilometers in either direction daily. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported they fired two missiles that hit a, quote, military base in Zorozhny, but the settlement north of Chehiv does not have a military facility in it. Our assessment in northwestern Kharkiv is unchanged from August 12th. You can find it in this past Friday's episode around minute 8 or 9. On the Azum axis, the Russian objective is to hold the current line of conflict and prevent further advances by Ukrainian troops toward Azum. The Ukrainian objective is to defend against advances on Slovyansk and capitalize on weaknesses in Russian defenses, continue to harass and interdict Russian GLOCs, and execute special operation forces raids on Russian troops located behind the line of conflict. Pictures by Ukrainian forces confirm that the settlement of Brazivka has been fully liberated. Ukrainian forces found vehicles, weapons, and provisions left behind in the settlement. Ukraine is maintaining tight operational security. Brazivka was likely liberated around August 7th. Based on this information, we've adjusted the line of conflict further north and removed some of the areas of contested control. Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Dolina and were unsuccessful. 
Our assessment of the Azum axis is the same as it was a week ago on August 8th. We remain unwilling to call the ongoing action by Ukraine forces a counteroffensive. We maintain that Russian forces between Avdrivka and Kopanki are now in a salient and at moderate risk of encirclement if Ukrainian forces were to make a breakthrough. It is implausible that Russian forces can secure the Donetsk Oblast by August 31st without securing Slovyansk as part of that self-declared deadline. Next, let's get some updates from the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions. In Kherson, the Russian objective is to prepare for a Ukrainian counteroffensive by building defenses, prevent further advances by Ukrainian troops toward Kherson, repair destroyed G-locks over the Dnipro River, and prevent the expansion of the insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River, and push Russian forces back far enough to end MLRS attacks on Mykolaiv and Kriviri. Russian forces didn't attempt any advances in Kherson. Both belligerents fired artillery, rockets from MLRS, and tanks. Our assessment of Kherson is the same as it was yesterday. Check out our weekend Review episode around minute 16 or so. In Mykolaiv, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources in place and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to maintain enough force strength to prevent a renewed Russian offensive, protect Mykolaiv through air defense, and supply interdiction. Russian forces fired S-300 anti-aircraft missiles in a ground-to-ground capacity for the first time in almost a week into Mykolaiv. The main port was hit, causing damage to the facilities. Other missiles impacted the electrical grid there was one injury. A Russian aircraft fired a KH-31 anti-ship missile in an air-to-ground capacity at an unknown target. Anti-ship missiles have low accuracy against non-naval targets, and the missile reportedly landed in a wheat field, causing crop damage. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian and Ukrainian forces continue to trade accusations of shelling the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the Russian Ministry of Defense is now claiming that the barrages on Nikopol and Marinets are counter-battery on Ukrainian positions firing on the nuclear power plant. Nikopol has been under intense rocket attack for five weeks, with drone video confirming Russian forces are using the area around the cooling towers as a firebase for BM-21 MLRS vehicles that fire Grad rockets. In our assessment, it is preposterous to claim that continued attacks on the two towns are in response to artillery fire on the station. The Russian Ministry of Defense didn't make the first claim that Ukraine was shelling the plant until three weeks after they started daily attacks on Nikopol, which killed dozens of civilians. The Russian-controlled city of Enerhodar, where the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is located, was shelled, killing one person. Russian forces and collaborators accused Ukraine of the strike. Another attack, which Dmitry Orlov, the exiled mayor of Enerhoda, reported, killed a workshop foreman on the grounds of Zaporizhia. Orlov claims the shelling was done by Russian forces, who fired from the edge of the yacht club into the power plant. Russian forces fired 20 grad rockets into Nikopol and shelled Marinets. There were no injuries reported. We can't verify the veracity of any of these reports, but are reporting them due to the safety and security issues the ongoing crisis is causing. Valentin Reznichenko, 
Dnipropetrovsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Ukrainian air defenses shot down a Russian KH-59 air-to-sea cruise missile over the oblast. Shifting our focus now to the Cheniev and Sumy region, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources in place and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to maintain enough force strength on the border with Russia to prevent Russian troops from crossing. Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Regional Administrative and Military Governor, reported Unakivka, Esmin, Khotin, and Bilopilia were shelled and hit by mortars. There was also a border skirmish north of Bilopilia at the now-closed international border crossing into Russia. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. In Zarechevator, Russia, a loitering munition, a.k.a. kamikaze drone, crashed into the base of a large communications tower, destroying it. The tower was geolocated just across the Ukrainian border between Sumy and Kharkiv. Slovakian Minister of Defense Yaroslav Nad denied that the Eastern European nation had already shipped its fleet of MiG-29s to Ukraine. Nod told reporters that the airplanes would participate in celebrations on August 27th and be on public display, representing their, quote, last day with the Slovakian Air Force. Family members reported the death of Lieutenant Colonel Nikolai Gorbon on August 2nd in Ukraine. Gorbon was the head of the 4th Department of the Special Operations Department of Russia's Federal Security Service, or FSB, and is the 99th Russian lieutenant colonel, or colonel, to die in combat since February 24th. He was believed to be within Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle. Putin will travel to Tehran on Tuesday after making a deal to purchase hundreds of combat drones from the Middle Eastern nation. No timetable was given for the deployment of the Iranian drones, but there were multiple reports that the training of drone operators had already begun. An employee of the United States State Department told CNN on August 11th, quote, During the last several weeks, Russian officials conducted training in Iran as part of the agreement for UAV transfers from Iran to Russia, end quote. Family members reported the death of decorated Ukrainian Air Force pilot Anton Listopad. Listopad was awarded the best pilot in Ukraine in 2019 and received the Order for Courage third class from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky just days before his death. Listopad was a MiG-29 pilot. No details were provided on when or how he died. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead about two minutes. Two civilians were killed in Zatoka when a drifting sea mine exploded just offshore at a resort beach. All Ukrainian beaches are closed for safety and security, but the warnings often go unheeded by residents living far from the front lines and suffering from war fatigue. The Marshall Island-flagged Star Laura left the Ukrainian port of Pivdeni with a cargo of 60,000 tons of corn, bound for Iran. The cargo left the port after Iran announced it had a deal to sell combat drones to Russia. The bulk carrier Brave Commander left Pivdeni on Sunday, carrying 23,000 tons of wheat to Ethiopia, 
the first African nation to receive a renewed shipment of Ukrainian grain. The charter ship arrived on Friday as part of the United Nations World Food Program. In geopolitical news, the United States announced it was providing $1.7 billion in cash assistance to Ukraine for August so the Ukrainian government could continue to provide vital services. This is in addition to a 1 billion euro commitment made by the European Union that will also be paid this month. The United States has provided $4 billion in cash assistance since March and $11.4 billion in military assistance since 2014. The European Space Agency announced they were withdrawing support from the ExoMars rover and surface platform mission and terminating their partnership with Roscosmos. Josef Ashbacher reported on Twitter, quote, The Council mandated me to officially terminate the currently suspended cooperation with Roscosmos on the ExoMars rover and surface platform mission. New insights on the way forward with other partners will come in a media briefing on the 20th of July, details to come, end quote. Russian citizens traveled to Estonia, where they held a flash mob condemning the looming visa ban and threatening a Russian invasion of Europe. The police detained the members and gave them a three-day deportation notice. Some of the flash mob then took to social media, accusing Estonian officials of being fascists. And in economic news, sanctions that prevent Russian airlines from getting aircraft parts from Boeing and Airbus are reaching a critical point. On August 3rd, Aeroflot pilots were given verbal instructions to use reverse thrusters more during landing to preserve the brake linings on jet airliners. Viktor Gorbachev, general director of the Association of Civil Aviation, quote, airport, stated in a conversation with the telegram channel Radio Tachka NSN, quote, If the pilots are more relaxed to stop with the help of the engines, this is not prohibited because it does not affect the safety of the flight. End quote. Less than two weeks later, Reuters reported that Aeroflot is now stripping multiple jetliners for parts. Airplanes being torn down include a Russian-made Sukhoi Superjet 100, an almost brand new Airbus A350, several Boeing 737s, and several Airbus A320s. The ruble opened flat in trading this morning, with an exchange rate of 61 rubles to 1 U.S. dollar. Oil opened lower in trading this morning. WTI is currently trading at $89 a barrel, while Brent crude is trading at $95 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline for spot market delivery is at $2.92 a gallon, or $0.77 a liter. SRW Chicago wheat futures are also down over the weekend, with pre-opening trading at $0.79 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.